honoring the Lord and for blessing us. It's our honor to have you worship with us today. Make yourselves at home. You're just in time for a new series that we're starting this morning. Um, actually, I wasn't going to start it until September, but I really felt impressed to the Lord in prayer to go ahead and kick this thing into gear. Uh, Pastor Jeremy did a remarkable job finishing up This Is Us last Sunday. Give him a hand if you will. Uh, I, I don't know if, 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 I'm sure that everybody in the room can relate. I know that I can. There are times that I really feel like Thomas uh, in just wrestling with doubts uh, in my own walk with God. Somebody says, Pastor, really? I mean, you've been at this for years. Yeah, absolutely. There are things that hit me. If you think I didn't have some doubt? Just in what I've walked through in the last 18 months or so, last 20 months, I guess. Yes, certainly. Uh, now, doubt and unbelief are not the same thing. You know, unbelief is, is willful, determined, you know, ignorance of uh, evidence of God's working in your life. Doubt is just really questioning. And there's nothing wrong. There's no sin to be doubting. Just keep looking and, until you see the light of day, until the fog clears, until the, cloudy, the clouds blow away and the skies become clear in terms of your faith. Somebody say amen. So Pastor Jeremy did a great job. We're cranking up this morning with a series about our values. 2010, we met together, a number of leaders in victory, and we were part of what was a church planning organization at the time. And some of their leadership came over and helped us to have some brainstorming sessions um, several weekends, several months apart. And one of those weekends was set to determine values in kind of a rebirth of Victory Church. And out of that weekend came these five values that we're going to be talking about. They've been on our website for the last, I guess, seven years or so. And we have never really preached a message on them. As a matter of fact... The, the leadership that we were that I was submitted to at that time basically said, don't get up and teach a series on this and, and, and print a slick bulletin because if you do this immediately, everybody will forget about it in six months and no change will take place. And what they said was, make sure that you take one value, the very beginning one, and you work on it this year. And you drive that value through all of your teams until they grasp it, and they eat it, and they sleep it, and they breathe it, and they are re replicating that and reproducing that in people that they're mentoring. Then the second year, take the second value and begin to, it's actually some of these, the first couple of them we were working on in the first year. Now, you received a, a lovely graphic this morning that failed, and it's my fault, because when I got it on my phone, it actually showed up. There are actually five steps on your printed bulletin. Next week it will look like that. The white looked really cool because I turned it sideways and it enlarged and I approved it. And then when we printed it, they didn't show up. So what you're, what you're looking at, and it'll be printed next week, should look like what's on the screen. I'd like you to start at the bottom and let's read the five victory values, if you would. Start with me. Environment, embrace, engage, equip, excel. So those five things have been guiding our decisions and charting our course in terms of strategy over the last seven or so years as we've seen growth come our way in Victory Church. And my heart and my desire is in this preparatory season as we get ready to cha uh, transition out of um, this termite infestation 
and I won't curse it. I'm thankful for every moment that we've had in it. I'm thankful for the blessing of God that's shown up here in spite of buckets in the floor and tiles falling. And, and we haven't had anybody sue us because of getting hit by a piece of wet tile. It's happened a few times. Uh, and so I'm so grateful that in spite of all the stuff that we've had to overcome in the obvious uh, areas of lack that this building affords us, it has provided us a place to begin to build into a people and give them a sense of prophetic vision of what church is about in the Delta. How we are to be a people that are called and sent on a mission to reach the people of this community. I've been watching the census. We, we planted this church in 1989. I saw the results of the 1990, of the 2000, and the 2010 census. And one glaring, unchanging statistic is that over those decades, there still is only 20% of the population of, of Crittenden County that attends church. Okay? And so 80% of the county that live here, some I think it currently is just, just short of 50,000 people in the county. 80% uh, of those, 40,000, don't go to church. Now how many of you know we have a wide open mission field in the Delta in Crittenden County in order to reach people? There are not too many churches here. As a matter of fact, there are not enough churches that are really hearing from the Lord as to what they're specifically to do in the community. Amen. We are determined to do something that is not in competition with anybody else. We're not trying to, we are not sheep stealers. We are not looking to try to draw people from other congregations. We intentionally and deliberately do things in a completely different kind of way than most of the other churches in the community do, and we do that on purpose. That is intentional, and that is deliberate. Somebody say amen. amen. And so I want you to recognize this morning that we are not here interested in just moving furniture around or, or getting a transfer in the army of, of God. People come from other churches, and that's fine. We welcome you. We're not saying in any kind of way you're not wanted here. I'm just saying our emphasis and our focus is to reach to the lost, to reach to the unchurched people of this community. we got 40,000 strong that we can reach. There aren't enough churches that are focusing on that in this community. And that, somebody say amen, that is our focus. This morning, I want to talk to you, and this sounds like a big theological kind of mouthful, but, but the title of the message is called Environmental Intentionality. Environmental Intentionality. A lot of buzz has been around since the 70s in terms of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. And unfortunately, environmental and those words have been politicized. And too many times it is associated with one of the two uh, radical sides of the political spectrum. In my 57 years, I have never seen such a spirit of divisiveness, of dividedness in the nation, red and blue, black and white, rich and poor, and all of the other dichotomous uh, representations of folks that are polarized against each other, Christian and unchristian, sinner and saint, all of these different kinds of views. And I just want to say to you that it is biblical as Christians that we should care about the environment. Now, that doesn't make me an environmental wacko. It doesn't make me impractical. 
uh, without, without chasing too many rabbits here this morning, I think it's ridiculous that when a church tries to build a property and for the sake of the, uh, advancing the kingdom of God in California, and they find out that there is a horned owl that is nesting on the property, and 90 acres is tied up for years until the owl decides to move. Now, that's, that's nonsense. I, I, I don't want to offend you if, if you happen to be on the radical side of that environmentalist, but, but Genesis 1 tells us that we should be stewards of the earth. We should take care of the environment. We should be about creation care. Don't shout me down. I'm telling the truth this morning. That doesn't make you a Republican or a Democrat. It doesn't make you a conservative or a liberal. It makes you a biblical Christian, which most of the time is going to put you somewhere in the middle of those radical sides. Come on, somebody help me a little bit. Now, we're not talking about the earth this morning. We're talking about the environment in which we're in this morning, here at this place, in this room. And, and, and as I kick this series off and we start with this very first value, the series text that I'm going to use is one little verse out of Isaiah chapter 43. It's a prophetic passage talking about God choosing the nation of Israel for a reason. And this is what it is. I'm going to ask you one more time. Get up out of your comfortable spot in your seat and stand up just a little bit and, and read this out loud heartily with me if you would. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. The King James says they shall show forth my praise. Now, the Old Testament nation of Israel is a spiritual picture, a prophetic type of the New Testament church. Recognize now, when we see this in light of what Jesus has done at the cross, you, this people, the church, Victory Church in particular this morning, you have been formed for the Lord himself. You will declare his praise. Say it with me like you mean it. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Let's pray. Amazing, great, mighty God. Thank you for the privilege of standing in this place this morning. I desperately need you and I ask you right now to empower the words that I speak by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We yearn for you. Lord, we long for change. We long for the comfort and the peace and the strength that only comes in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Not just knowing a name or saying it right, but having a personal relationship with, with a man who is God in the flesh. His name is Jesus. Move through this service today. Touch hearts. Do what only the Holy Ghost can do. Change lives. Challenge us. Correct us. Comfort us. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Exhort and stir up and warn and admonish us. Equip us, prepare us, O oh Lord, we pray. We'll be careful to give you the praise. It is in the strong and the incomparable name of Jesus that I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. One thing that I want to grab this morning quickly is this concept. Victory Church exists to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. Victory Church exists to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. Now, what's the emphasis on real about pastor? Well, too many times in my personal experience in the Bible Belt South, in what I use, a term that I began to use just out of my own heart, and then I found out that it's actually uh, pretty popular out there, is the concept that I call churchianity. How many of you know churchianity and real Christianity are not the same thing? You can go through the motions, you can be the member, you can drop a check in the, in the bucket or mail it in or text it in. 
you can uh, show up for the meetings and do everything that you're supposed to do and go through the motions. And the scary thing is not even have a living relationship with the one who started this thing, the one who formed you for himself so that you would live a life of praise. When we say that scripture, this people have I formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. It doesn't just mean for an hour on Sunday morning or for 20 minutes through three songs that you're going to clap your hands and raise your hands and lift your voice and sing a song. No, it means you will be a people whose lifestyles, a people whose perseverance in difficult seasons, a people whose endurance in a time of storm in your own life, a people who, who, who stand firm in the place of, of temptation, who, a people who miss it, acknowledge it, confess their sin and get up and move on, a people who are grateful for the empowering and the forgiving grace of God and recognize that, that if you're not anything of yourself, but you're everything because He made you and you belong to Him. This people have I formed for myself. They will declare my praise. Victory Church exists to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. And I'm not interested in fake folk. And you know what? Fake folk come all the time. And, and after a little while, kind of that whole, that whole church facade starts to crumble. And you start to realize that everybody else in the room has got some hang-ups that Jesus is ready to hang up for them. And, and, and you got some baggage that you're carrying and you've got some stuff that you're struggling with and there's an area of brokenness that you've been hiding. But we're, attempt, we're attempting to create an environment and I'm going to talk about that environment in this room this morning. The environmental attention, intentionality. Because I don't want it like the typical churchianity church. I don't want it like the typical southern, southern Bible Belt, legalistic, pharisaical, judgmental, holier than thou. What is she doing in our church this morning? Would you, would you look at who just walked in the door? My God, the roof is going to fall in. Now that kind of stuff happens. That kind of stuff is happening in churches this morning, right now, at this time, as people meet. I don't want anything to do with that. I rebuke that. I bind that in Jesus' name. And I look for every chance I can to offend every Pharisee who shows up. And either you shirk, you, sh you shake off the Phariseeism, or you leave and take it somewhere else. Because we don't have time for that judgmentalism in this place. I regularly open my heart and share with you struggles that I'm having to show you that as the lead dude of this place, Jesus really is the ultimate lead dude, but the one who is earthly responsible for it, who will answer, who will give an account for my life and for yours and for the direction this church goes in, the one who stands up here is the point man. I struggle. I have issues. I have things that I have to go to God for regularly and say, God, help me, empower me, strengthen me. And I tell you all the time, there are no pedestals for preachers around here. We're on level footing. We're all walking on the same ground and we all have to come before the same cross of Jesus Christ. Victory exists to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. I ain't got time for fake. I remember Abby said to me one time, and I, t I tell this, I don't want to embarrass Brenna, but I tell this, and she says, you know, I just love Brenna. And I said, Abby, why do you love Brenna? She said, because she doesn't wear a church cloak. This was a 10-year-old girl. Abby, what do you mean a church cloak? And I guess she'd seen Harry Potter with the invisible cloak, you know? How people hide behind a church face. How they, they put on a fake smile and they go, they're hurting on the inside. Just confidence is crumbling. Marriage on the rocks. Finance is a mess. Facing 
just news that they heard this week, but just still praise the Lord. Bless you. I don't want to offend anybody, but see, I grew up and I was a Pentecostal and everybody give you that little too, way too gentle handshake. I love to, when I shake a brother's hand, I want, to have, I want a man to shake my hand and I don't want to bruise the sister's fingers, but I don't want one of these little bless you. And I want to slap that H out of that bless, out of your mouth. Bless you. Y'all, some of y'all don't know what I'm, I'm talking about, but it was just such a, it was, it was sweet. And, and folk will smile at you and bless you to your face and then curse you behind your back and gossip about you and play church games. Look, look at your neighbor and say, ain't got no time for that. <laughs> Value number one, as we open this series, we intentionally create an environment. I work on this every time we get up here. Every time we meet, we're talking about who we are. And, and how we relate to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The only one that's perfect in this room. His name is Jesus. Amen. We all desperately need Him. And we get reminded of that. We, we recognize that our power source is not in our own will. It's not in our self. It's not in our ingenuity and our education and our, and our money and our wealth or our health. It's not in our great ideas. It's in Him and Him alone. Somebody put your hands together and give Him praise this morning. Come on. What is this concept of an environment? And, and really, it, it, it's kind of what we would call our church culture. It's how we do what we do. Uh, this is the why behind it. Some of you may say, you know, I come to victory and it's just different. I, I, I don't know what it is about it. I'm drawn to it. And people will answer that and fill in the blank with different things. And, and so as we prepare to go into this new building, we're going to enter a season where the book of Revelation says, thrust in the sickle and reap the harvest. And God, guys, I want to tell you right now, God is, is poised. God is set with ready. He is on go for us as we get into this building. Now, now let me just say this. Our focus from the beginning has never been buildings and programs. Our focus has been building people. And you know what? When we get into this building, what I'm so proud of is not the structure, but the team that we've built. The people that are sitting in this room. Because God has done some amazing things in your lives and you have a testimony. And the reason you have a testimony is because you didn't quit before the end of the test. And God brought you through it and He delivered you and He set you free. And he made something new out of the old in your life. And He made something beautiful out of the ugly in your life. Everybody in here in the room, don't look at me in that corner. Everybody in the room has got something ugly in your life. The environment is the church culture. Come on, let me make it real so you can grasp this. You have a culture in your family. You have a way you do things. I remember as a young child playing in the neighborhood back in the day when kids got on bicycles and rode around the block. Back when they, you know, could, could be a few blocks away in the same neighborhood and the, your parents didn't really even wonder about you until dark. You could be gone for hours playing and and, and nothing was really ever an issue. No one questioned where you were or anything like that. You could be out just playing over in a ball field over there on South Worthington in a big open field and just knocking the ball around. But when it came dark, you knew it was time to report home. And you might even go back outside for a little while and play with some of your friends and get flashlights and do hide and go seek and do all kinds of things. But I remember at 10 o'clock, everybody for sure had to, especially in the summertime, certainly uh, in school, you had to be in way before that. 
But in summertime, Channel 3 would always say it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? First of all, this morning, let me just say it's, uh, it's 939. Do you know where your children are? <laughs> it's almost 10 o'clock. The, the word culture means worship. God gave Adam and Eve a commandment and said, it is your mission as my representative in the earth to dress the garden and keep it. <laughs> to dress the garden. There, God gave Adam and Eve everything they needed in terms of all of the natural resources that were already created, but he put a spirit of creativity inside Adam and Eve and said, now take what I've given you and make something even greater and more beautiful that is there and let it spread across the face of the whole earth, not just to be contained only in this garden. I believe God's intention was that the glory of the garden, just like he promises in the new covenant, the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And you know, sin entered in. We know that story. But there was creativity there, and they were supposed to, they were supposed to cult us. They were supposed to worship God through the, their labor before the curse came. There was no sweat. Can you imagine doing hard work and not having to wipe your brow? I'm wiping right now. Can, can you imagine recognizing that as you planted something that thorns and thistles didn't grow up in that place? I remember years ago, my dad was working on his yard and bless his little heart. He was convinced that there were people, as he called them, riding around in these cub planes up in the air, dropping weed seeds into his grass. Because <laughs> he was spraying it and he was pulling them and everything. And, and the, the whole point is we, we, we get this concept, the idea of agriculture, horticulture, permaculture. All of these ideas of growing things come from the concept of taking what God has given us and then with our own creativity offering something even more beautiful back to Him through pruning and through fertilizing and through watering and through dressing it and keeping it. Now, we're not just talking about a garden spot in Africa thousands and thousands of years ago. We're talking about your home and your family and your marriage and your children. You, God has put you in a garden and you're supposed to dress and keep the souls of those children. Amen. You have an environment that you create in your home. When I walk in people's houses, I can sense if there's peace in that house or not. <clears throat> if there's constant nagging and constant belittling and verbal abuse, and God forbid if there's physical abuse, you can just about feel it in the spirit. But you walk into a home and the peace of God resides there, the shalom of God, because Jesus, who is our Prince of Peace, is Lord in that house. And people respect each other and they love each other. They acknowledge their faults and they ask for forgiveness and they put their trust in God. And, and there's respect and there's order. You walk in a place where that's not there and there's chaos and there's just all kinds of things that are going on. You create the culture that your family's living in. You are responsible for how you are living your life. You create the atmosphere that you're walking around. I can encounter negative people and before it's over with, I will leave them encouraged because I carry positivity. I am a man of faith. And as I told the Marion School District when I spoke to them, somebody asked me recently what I did and it's like inspiration came over me and I said, I'm a dealer in hope. Because 
like Billy Preston, a, 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 a B3 Hammond organ playing black brother friend of mine in the, the 1970s who used to sing, you know, you got a song that nobody else can sing. You, you got words because God's brought you through your test and made it a testimony. Make your life a, now don't get afraid of this word cultist because the negative cut it short cult is that idea of something that has gone aberrant. How many of you know every good thing God gives, the enemy takes it and perverts it? Come on. So when we talk about our environment, it is more than lights and sound and a cool vibe. We love all that. We're doing things differently. We're baiting the hook to, to catch a, a, a younger generation. We're not going to decorate. We have it this one, and we're not going to decorate the new building for, and I don't want to say an age because I don't want to offend anybody, because Victory has a desire to be a multi-generational congregation of brand new babies and hundred-year-old saints. But we're going to deliberately and intentionally in the fishing hole that God has put us in in Crittenden County in the Delta, we are reaching to the median age of this community. And we're talking about 28, 29-year-olds. We're really digging into. That's why the music that we do is new. That's the reason we've got some lights and things are a little bit differently than you're used to hearing. And when we do a hymn, it's kind of been modernized a little bit. No offense, but if you're interested... And everything being, and I don't, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but there's a church in the community that builds themselves as church the way it used to be. That's great if that's what you want. That's not our calling. We don't think we're better than anybody else. We just think we are doing what God's called us to do. Let me tell you what humility is. Humility is, is recognizing who you are, knowing your personal strengths and weaknesses, and staying in your lane, not trying to be somebody else. One thing, Victory Church exists to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. I want to, when you walk in the door, just like when you go to the airport, you've got to walk through uh, metal detectors and you get frisked. Will you come to Victory? After a while, we're going to frisk you of your pharisaical bag of rocks, help you empty that. We're going to help you lose the church face and get real. Let me look at that and say, get real. Four things real quickly I want to go through. Number one, we intentionally created an environment. That environment is kingdom focused. Everybody say kingdom. kingdom. The kingdom of God is about the lordship of Jesus Christ. God's government in your life. And I've got scriptures here I want to grab real quickly. Matthew chapter 6 is the location of what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. Technically, it's the disciples' prayer because they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, say and this is it. Pray like this, he says. Read it with me. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, that's the New Living Translation. You all have grown up saying it in the King James. It's a little bit more Shakespearean, period, Elizabethan. And it's beautiful. Say it with me now. Let's do it in, in worship. Say it like you mean it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's beautiful. If you don't do anything but pray through those words on a daily basis and don't just fly through it by road, our Father, which art in heaven, how to be done, kingdom, don't do that. But just take a few minutes and stop and say, God, I'm just overwhelmed that you, you let me be your child. You're my father. Take those words, a phrase at a time, and put them in your own words. Holy, your name is holy. Thank you for the name of Jesus that is above every name. And, and God, I just ask you for your kingdom, your government. You are the king. I'm the domain that you're king of. Be king in my life. Be Lord in my life. Take it all. I surrender it to you today. Let your will be done. Be, be accomplished, will of God, in my life. Lead me. Guide me. Let the wisdom of God be my portion. Let me make good choices today that honor you. Be done, will of God. You see what I'm doing with the Lord's Prayer? And, and, and you can do that driving down the highway. You can do that driving into work. God, you know my needs, and I just ask you today that you would meet my needs. Bread for my children, Lord, the rent, the, the, the car note, whatever it is that you're facing. And just pray through those. But notice that the kingdom of God is the first thing mentioned. It is central. It is primary. We have to be kingdom focused. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, quoting King James, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right living, and all of these other things that you're concerned about, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, shelter over your head, clothes on your body, food in your mouth, all of these things, he said, they will come to you as a matter of course. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. Okay, let's get it here. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's, that's primary. That's priority. First, and live righteously. Do the right thing. And, and he will give you everything you need. How many are thankful for the promise of God? Somebody say amen. Now, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That verse out of Isaiah 9, 7 is pulled over into Luke and it says of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. In the Bible Belt South, we have been fooled with some bad theology that puts off the kingdom of God only into the future. How many of you know what a pro procrastinator is? A procrastinator is somebody who can't take now for an answer. Y'all are a little slow this morning, but you're getting mad. A procrastinator is somebody who can't take now for an answer. Now, hear what I'm saying. Don't, don't read into it. Don't, don't make me say what I'm not saying. There is a future aspect of the kingdom that is yet to come. But there is a present reality to his lordship in our lives. And the kingdom of God is within me. It is within you. His government is in my life. His lordship is in my life. And now I am called to take the gospel and advance his rule, his authority, his, his lordship, his government, his, his kingdom increases as we preach the gospel. As another soul is literally ripped from the fires, as another soul is birthed into the kingdom of God, as someone defeats sin, as someone overcomes sickness, every one of those manifestations are from the kingdom of darkness, and we are people of the kingdom of light. Somebody say amen. amen. Every time someone overcomes anything in the curse, 
because of sin, we have just advanced the kingdom of God. When we stand up for those that are vulnerable and that are mistreated in our community, those that are less and least, those that are hopeless and helpless, those due to social conditions have been mistreated, when we stand up for them, we advance the kingdom of God. We join our voices with men like Martin Luther King who said, I long for a day when my children will be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. Thank you for the three people who amen that. Some folks say the kingdom's not for now, it's not for us, it's only for the natural Jew. I, along with a majority of Christians around the world, reject that idea and tell you the kingdom of God is available to you right now. Number two, we intentionally create an environment that is not only kingdom focused, but it is gospel driven. The gospel of God is the engine. It is the power behind what we are doing to see transformation take place in people's lives. The gospel drives. It is the engine. It is the impetus. It is the motivation. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We are gospel-driven. It is the power of God unto salvation. But so many times there is what I call a Bible Belt reductionism, where we think saved is only saved from. I'm saved from hell. I'm saved from sin. I'm saved from eternal death and eternal damnation. But that's only one side of the coin. Too many times, so many churches only talk about the, what we've been saved from and never teach the people what we've been saved for. Amen. Thank God I've been saved from sin and I've been saved from hell. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he didn't just give me that so I could die and go to heaven. He gave me that so I could walk as a king in this life. Romans chapter 5. I could become a person influence. And I could become a man of destiny. And I could change circumstances around me. I could be an environment of darkness. And when I walk in, light comes in with me. Because light is on the inside of me. When I'm gospel driven, it's, it's more than just the gospel of sin management. It's not just a little, little five or ten people with a little remnant mentality who think they're the only ones that are going to heaven. And they look down their noses with, with spirits of Phariseeism and judgmentalism at everybody else and think their theology is the only one that's right. God save us from that kind of nonsense. Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And the gospel is not just the gospel of sin management. It's the gospel of His Lordship. It's the gospel of His kingdom. Simply good news. The Bible says in the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, it's Jesus comes and the first thing He says when His ministry starts is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. That's what He said. He showed up to a bunch of overly zealous religious people and He said, repent. You think you've got this thing all sewn up. And you're, you think you're earning and currying God's favor by your good works. And I'm telling you, repent. Change your mind. Lay that mess down. The kingdom of God you've been talking about for years, it's within your grasp. It, it is at hand. It's within your reach. And if you'll just believe the gospel and repent of your thinking, that it is only in the future, but it's right now. The kingdom was standing right in their midst, and His name is Jesus. We're not just saved from something, but we're saved for something. So many churches are just possessed with a sin consciousness. And every Sunday, the bulk of the message 
is some version of John 3.16 warmed over. And, and, and a two courses, if you know good, you know good, baby, you know good. Come back next Sunday and Linda Ron Stat, the choir director, will sing it for you again. You know good, you know good, baby, you know good. Some shepherds are wife beaters. They abuse the bride of Christ. And it's unfortunate that you have been so trained in a culture where you think real church is where somebody slaps you around and tells you that you're just a low down, no good worm. You know what? That's what you were before you came to Christ. Now you're a new creation. God spun a cocoon around you and in the waters of baptism buried that old man and he raised a butterfly up out of that worm. Come on, somebody. You've got a room full of people that have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, that have been redeemed. Jesus has paid the price. He's broken the curse. Sometimes the whole emphasis is only on the cross and on the crucifixion. And thank God the cross saved me. But the resurrection is what empowers me to live a different kind of life. I didn't get to preach a whole lot this summer. I've had it kind of stored up. Every Sunday, these wife-beating preachers verbally abuse the, the wife, the bride of Christ. And I want to tell you that Jesus is not only our Savior, He is our Lord. He's not only our priest who will meet your needs, but He is your King who will make demands on your life. We have to develop a righteousness consciousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he who knew no sin, Jesus, He's the only one who never knew any sin. For he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. So that, everybody say so that. In order that, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Too many of you in this room never think of yourselves as the righteousness of God. But Jesus is on the inside of you and because He is, He looks at you and He says, you're righteous in my sight. Too many times folk stay in destructive patterns of behavior because they've never been taught who they are now in the new creation. And folk who have slip into sin because they had a momentary memory lapse. They forgot who they were. I remember that line in Gone with the Wind where Dr. Mead, they're about to birth a baby. And Dr. Mead looks at his wife and says, Mrs. Mead, remember yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, remember yourself. Victory is a people. We are here to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. And we intentionally create an environment that is more than lights and good sound and great music and, and, and an upbeat kind of an approach is more than good preaching. And we have, I believe, the, the most amazing preaching team in, in Crittenden County. Matter of fact, I put them up against some of the dudes and, and sisters in Memphis. Talking about Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Haley, y'all say amen. amen. We are kingdom focused. We are gospel driven. We are number three, presence centered. Second Corinthians three, real quickly. Let me grab it. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? How I many you know your problem is you need to get where the Spirit of God is? Somebody says, "Well, the Spirit of God's everywhere." Well, yeah, but there are times and locations where His Manifest presence shows up, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You pray and you something way down in your gut just says the answer's on the way. There's a there's a visceral, tangible experience. Folks that are afraid of experience, don't forget you've got to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And being born again is an experience. There's an experience 
of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every day you get up and you wake up and your eyes pop open, you should say, fill me, Holy Spirit, for what I have to do today. Whatever your job, you're a man or you're a woman of destiny. You're a man of purpose. You've got a reason for being here. It's not just about getting saved from hell and from sin. It's about being saved for a purpose. Are y'all hearing me a little bit this morning? We are kingdom focused. We are gospel driven. We are presence centered. I unashamedly tell you, I expect when we show up for the manifest presence of God to be in this place. If there's a time when it's not, then I'm done. Shut it down. Just go to the country club. I will not go through religious church motions because it's too easy to become churchianity. If everybody else shows up except the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is to bring freedom, then there's something wrong. We've got to pray. We've got to say, God, is there sin? Is there something that we need to confess? God, we humble ourselves. We desperately need you. Come on, somebody. Say amen. amen. Psalm 22.3 says he dwells in the praises of his people. That's why we want you to enter in with us. I know some of you, bless your hearts, don't want you to think that, that I've got a checklist or anything, but some of you just standing around like an old frog on a log, just watching to see what's going on. And I want to tell you, if you'll just get a little bit past your pride and just enter in, enter in to whatever degree you feel comfortable to do it, but come on, move out of your comfort zone. And get your focus off of yourself and realize that you're here to magnify. Somebody said, yeah, but you just don't know the message in my life. First of all, we're not here. We're not not worshiping God because of the mess that's in our life. We are worshiping God because of the greatness that's in his life. He deserves it. Everybody in the room's got a little mess somewhere. Even those of you that got most of your ducks in a row, there's a little quacker out somewhere. We come in here and we get encouraged and we get strengthened and there's an injection of faith and hope and the love of God that empowers us to walk into this community and we become contagious carriers of His presence. It's so much more than just believing a principle, saints. I've got to have the experience of what it means to be born again to be saved. I have to have the experience of what it means to regularly be filled with the Holy Spirit to be empowered to do what He's called me to do. Forgiveness is not just an idea. I have to choose to do it. It's an experience. God, I let those people go. I forgive them. God, they're idiots. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Help me, Lord, to lay that down and not hold that against them. Because if I don't, it's not going to make any difference to them, but it's going to eat my lunch. It's going to eat me alive. <laughs> Y'all get anything out of this? Victory Church exists to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. And we intentionally and create an environment that is kingdom focused, that is gospel driven, that is presence centered. We come in here and we expect God to change. I don't have the strength or the ability or the ingenuity, but the spirit of God can do in one nanosecond in your life what a thousand years of sermons and preaching can't do. He can do it. He can change. He can transform. He can heal. He can deliver. He can set free. Finally this morning and I'm finished. Grace based. Oh, God, how we desperately need to be in touch with this amazing thing called the grace of God. We sing a song called Amazing Grace. It's amazing because we're in bewilderment. We're in, we're in complete wonder of this whole thing. That he who is perfect loved me so much that he died for me in all of my junk and my gross imperfection. And he, he didn't just save me from something, but in his grace he empowers me to what he saved me to. 
Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Amen. I'm going to say something, and let me just say on the front end, that there's a caveat. There's a little buyer beware here. Caveat emptor. And, and that basically means, get ready, because here it comes. And if you get offended, you're going to have to forgive me, because I'm preaching on forgiveness, and Jesus said forgive. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes folk in the world demonstrate more of the kingdom of God than church people do. Yeah. Ellen DeGeneres, and I don't know what just popped into your mind as soon as I said her name right there, demonstrates more of the kindness and the generosity of what the kingdom of God is about than a whole lot of church folk. She ends every show every day by saying, be kind to one another. And kindness is a, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes church folk, they, they've lost touch with kindness. Now, I don't know what you think about Ellen. And, and, and let's don't, don't chase a rabbit and get judgmental about choices or lifestyles or any of that kind of stuff. But it's a shame when folk that you think wouldn't be demonstrating the kingdom do a better job demonstrating the kingdom than we who have the kingdom in us. Y'all don't shout me down this morning because I'm preaching so good. The apostle had to remind us, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace, you didn't earn this. You ain't good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You're not, you're not pretty enough. You're not enough in yourself. But the one who loves you just like you are right where you are, but loves you too much to leave you that way, has reached down and poured out grace on your life. Don't ever pray for judgment. Judgment is getting what you deserve. And I know sometimes when I see people, it's kind of become the thing to say. And I think it's good. I say, how are you doing? They say, better than I deserve. And I think that's a great thing to be aware of. Um, just don't get churchy with it around non-church people because they just think we're weird. You know, to, to, to fellow brothers and sisters, better than I deserve. Unless you could artfully turn that into a chance to share the gospel. Amen. That's the thing to do. And be gracious in that. You know, don't beat somebody over the head with the scripture. But it says, for by grace, judgment is getting what you deserve. God came and he held back the judgment sentence against us and he put mercy in its place. And mercy is not getting what I deserve. Judgment and mercy are both about what I deserve. Judgment is positively getting it. Mercy is negatively not getting what I deserve. But grace is an entirely different bird. It's a whole different animal. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Amen. It is the favor and the love and yes. the goodness and the blessing and the prosperity and the presence and the peace of God. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. And because I've received grace, I must be gracious with others. Because he's been generous with me in his grace, I can't be stingy in my grace with somebody else. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Oh, that fool just walked in this door. And you go right back to your worship, and you're, you're, you're holding and harboring bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness against another brother or sister. What did Jesus say in the red letters? You've been forgiven a $2 billion debt, and you're throwing your brother in jail for 20 yes. bucks. God have mercy on us. We've been given grace. We must be grace-based. 
Now, guys, that sounds good. You can say amen. But you know when it kicks in? Is when somebody sitting on your row offends you. And, oh, no. But these people couldn't possibly offend me. I love these people. Yeah, just hang around a little while. <laughs> Everybody, look at them and say, people are people. And let me just let you know that as much as we, are, we exist to build real people, to serve the real God in the real world, we are equal opportunity offenders here at Victory. There ain't nothing special about you. You hang around long enough, you're going to get offended. Somebody's going to say something the wrong way, going to not do what they said they would do. And, and it's not necessarily a deliberate. It just life happens. Everybody say forgive. forgive. He's been so merciful to me. I must show mercy. Jesus said in the red letters, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, when you pray the Lord's Prayer and you say, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. That's the only promise in that prayer that has a condition attached to it. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let it go. God lets yours go. Everybody say grace-based. Victory Church exists to build real people who serve the real God in the real world. Real means I acknowledge my brokenness. And my need for him. There is no room for judgmental attitudes in Victory Church. There Phariseeism, we're either going to get you healed or we're going to say bye-bye. Phariseeism, holier-than-thou attitudes don't belong in Victory Church. Because God has called us not to reach the, the 10,000 that are in church. He's called us to reach the 40,000 that don't even go. Like the Greeks who came to Philip and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's what the whole community is asking for. Show me something that's real. Don't, don't shout loud on Sunday and then act differently on Monday. Don't say red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight on Sunday morning. Sit on the same row with a person of a different ethnicity and then say racial things during the week. Clean up your act. Clean up your mouth. Get it straight. God, and that's what we're going to speak to next week about of embracing diversity in our community. God has called us to do something here different than anybody else is doing. Our, well, ours is not better. Ours is not more cool. It's just we know who we are and we know why God's called us here and we want to humbly be who he's called us to be. Victory Church, we intentionally create an environment where we are kingdom-focused, gospel-driven, Presence-centered with grace-based relationships. Say that, read it out loud with me, and I'm finished this morning. Victory is a people who are kingdom-focused, gospel-driven, and presence-centered with grace-based relationships. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer.